Hey, this is Derek D-Train, he too. Tonight's episode is brought to you by... Brandedbills.com, one of the leaders in today's hat industry. If you want something unique, you'll find it there. We love the concept of their leather patches. Cut out of the finest leather with your logo branded right on the leather. Feeling patriotic? Check out their USA logos or shop by state. Offering logos from all 50 states for your custom headwear. Lots of options to choose from, so check out their stock inventory or create your own lid. Brandedbills.com is the sponsor for our hats here at Blue Line Hockey Club, and we are excited to have some of the best hats around. Choose between fitted hats, snapbacks, flat bills, curved bills, trucker hats, you name it, with all kinds of color combos to help customize your branded bill. Get online and place your order today at Brandedbills.com. Well, welcome back to the Blue Line Hockey Club, folks. We have episode 88 tonight, and all the usual suspects sitting in the house with us. We have our producer, Patrick of Bilarney Sullivan. What's up, Patrick? Aloha. And the local nerd on staff, our IT guy, Robbie P. Peters. What's up, Pete? Let me how you're bombing And the all-around sports guru, Derek D. Train too. What's up, D. Train? What's up, we know. And your host of the Blue Line Hockey Club tonight, Mark, the doctor, Morley. Oh, And our special guest sitting in the house with us tonight, Andy Moe, three-time Stanley Cup champion. Um, long career in the NHL. How you doing, Andy? Very good, thanks. How are you guys tonight? Good, good. Thanks for coming on tonight. So uh, where where's home for you now? Are you up in Canada? I am uh, home in Dallas, Texas tonight. Dallas, Texas. So you're, I know you're originally from Canada, so I didn't know if you reverted back to some of those freezing cold winters up there. You're smart and stayed in Dallas. <laughs> we'll be there. We'll be there in those great months of June, July, and August. That's about the right time to be up there. Yeah, yeah. The four of us live right on the border, and uh, you know we don't miss the winters. Well, three of us are down south now. One of them, one of us is still up there, but. Uh, so what's retirement like for you now? Are you fully retired or are you still dabbling in the hockey world? I have I have uh, a couple of interests, to be honest. I, I'm still involved in the, uh, in the coaching aspects with two consulting roles, one with uh, uh, the Portland Winterhawks of the Western Hockey League, and the second consulting role is, uh, is a hockey school slash academy that I've been associated with in Penticton, British Columbia. Okanagan Hockey Schools and Academy. I've been there for 40 plus years, and I still contribute there. It's a pretty important part of my life as a hockey player. Nice. So you're doing the consulting on the, on the obviously the goaltending end, um, as far as those two roles. Yeah, exactly. Nice. It seems like uh, you know a lot of the uh, you know I know with USA Hockey um, for sure, like one of the biggest things that they're trying to do is develop better goalies because, in, you know, the younger ages, a lot of the coaches don't know how to teach the goalies. You know, a lot of them are forwards that have never played the position before. And, uh, you know, is that something that you see that, um, you know, this goal, coaching goalies is, is something that's a need? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's part of the evolution of the game. Uh, um, honestly, I think it was an area of the game that grew faster than maybe the skating skills, puck, uh, skate, pass, and shoot skills. I think the specific position allowed for goaltenders to come in, and, and as a result, I think they've evolved and developed maybe at a little ra- uh, quicker rate than skaters, but um, uh, I think that uh, over, overall, 
the, the goaltenders get a little bit more personalized training and they might get a little more specific and as a result they might develop a little quicker at younger ages. Yeah, with being a, a little quicker on the ice, Andy, um, I know goalies now um, are wearing like forward skates, I guess you could call them. You know, but we're, we're in our 40s. Um, you know, back when you played, you had goalie skates. Um, mm-hmm. What's your take on that? What do you think about that? Do you think it helps them move faster? Well, as as far as the blade lengths are concerned, and I think that's that's where we probably should start. The blade lengths are, are the same as goalie skates prior to uh, I guess it's been roughly five years since these these skates have been introduced, and 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 basically uh, the plastic shell that went on a goalie skate is called a cowling, and based on the style that players uh, goaltenders use now, the cowlings became obsolete. It wasn't necessary to protect the inside of the ankle. There was no more skate saves. Uh, the toe protection wasn't necessary because uh, the the whole cut for the toe of the skate is no longer present in a pad. So, you know, the skate uh, evolution is that they didn't need the cowling, the big bulky cowling. As a result, they streamlined the skate. They've uh, they've made them lighter and, you know, everybody's into lighter and and, uh, that's accommodating some of these, uh, some of these goaltenders who like lighter equipment. Yeah. And even, even the pads themselves are are a lot lighter now. I mean, do you think that uh, would have given you a pretty good, advantage if you weren't wearing some of the heavy equipment that you had i don't think if you asked the young goldfinder today what horse hair was he'd look at you like you got two heads <laughs> prime ingredient right i mean it was stuffed in there like you wouldn't believe and a pair of old pads would be flying out all over the place now it's foams and rubbers and carbon fibers and synthetic materials i mean you pick up a 36 inch pad right now it's like I don't know, two pounds. I mean, there's nothing there. It's unbelievable how light they are. And, and they don't get wet either, right? Your pads used to get wet, the old Vons. God, yeah. It's like a sponge down there. Just soaked up every <laughs> bit of water. And, and, you know, Boston Garden usually dried out about halfway through the third grade. So you play most of the game in wet conditions. <laughs> I actually, the first time I watched you play, I was, uh, I would say, early 80s in, at the old Boston Garden. Um, which made me become a Boston Bruins fan, and you were yeah. in that that game. Tell us a little bit about uh, the old Boston Garden, how that place used to get rocking, and you know some of the old rivalries against the Canadians. Uh, what was it like to play there? The first thing I could tell you is it it might be physically impossible to put an NHL size rink in that in the old building itself. As a result, the the Boston Garden was 15 or 20 feet shorter in terms of ice service, and at least 10 feet narrower. I mean, it, it's a, it's unbelievable that you had six skaters on each side and two goalies or, or five skaters and two goalies out there. It was so small, and the and the loge levels, the tiers, they were literally on top of the boards. So you look up from the boards and you <laughs> couldn't see the people in the next tier and the top tier. It was just, it was so compact, it was so tight, intimate. I mean, the place at the end, the place was falling down. I mean, they needed to do something, but. Uh, what, what do you say at the barn? But it's our barn. <laughs> yeah, and that's really how it was. It was, it was so intimate. I don't, you know, the odd, the odd in Buffalo had it uh, in terms of the intimate feel. Uh, yeah, the old igloo was like that too. You know, people were right on top of you. It was pretty cool that way. Uh, you're not, you're not going to see that intimate atmosphere around a hockey game anymore. I guess maybe unless you go to a youth game somewhere. 
<laughs> now, now, were you playing when Barry Melrose went up into the stands? Uh, was that were you I, on that team? I was. I wasn't in the league there, and uh, uh, I heard the stories afterwards, obviously. But uh, oh, okay, yeah, I, I, I knew it was. I knew it was a shoe and beating somebody. Uh, honestly, I thought it was Mike Milbury. <laughs> oh yeah, that's who it was, Mike Milbury. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he took the guy's shoe off and beat him over the head with it. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love those old stories. I mean, we talked. I think it was uh, it was a Theo Fleury that we had on, and he went up to the Edmonton, the new Edmonton rink, and was talking about the new uh, facilities they had and the locker rooms, and you know how spoiled these guys are, and uh, you know how they have everything given to them and chefs and, and everything's cooked for them at the rink, and you know I'm sure it wasn't like that in your day, right? <laughs> Oh, you you know what? You had to fend for yourself a little bit. I I told a story about somebody uh, to somebody a while back. I got I got cut and sent and sent to the minors after my first NHL training camp. It happened to be in Jasper, Alberta, and uh, I was told to report to Wichita, Kansas, in like four days. And they said, "Good luck." And you walked out the door. You, you didn't have a car. There was no bus. You rented a car with some other guys. You got back. You found your way there. I mean, that was the whole deal. You got yourself to Wichita. And today, I would, I would venture that players might have a more difficult time getting from point A to point B. But that was that was part of growing up, I guess, was figuring out how to get things done. Back when people used uh, actual maps to figure out where they were going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Things have changed, exactly. that's for sure. Yeah, right and, hey Andy, um, uh, listen, I was, I was, I know, like when I was growing up, I remember you as a Boston Bruin as well. But you were a part of, uh, you know, with the Edmonton Oilers and part of that '84 '85 team that many people consider, you know, probably the best hockey team in the history of the league. Um, that yeah. team was absolutely, that team was absolutely stacked. Uh, you're talking about, you know, Messier, Gretzky, Yari Curry. You know, and another thing that that team is made up of probably like 98% Canadian hockey players too, which you know you're not seeing as much in the league now. There's more there's more parity around the league. You want to talk about your time and specifically with that team that year about what that was like? Oh, it was pretty interesting that squad. They 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 added. They I think that's the team they added uh, uh, two Euros at the end. Uh, Kent Nielsen and and Ratsalainen used to play for the Rangers. They added these guys just to add in. These guys were all stars that just got added in to, to be depth for the team. So, I mean, that tells you a little bit about the, the quality of the player up and down that roster. Kent Nielsen and Ray Rizzolani come in, and they're just add-ons. They're just extras in the roster. But that that's sort of the way it was. I mean, the, the Oilers had really evolved a style of play, and uh, they wanted complementary players to play on that roster. And it was At the time, it was – uh, for, for North America, anyway, so it was a bit of a new concept. They wanted to have a puck possession team. If we have the puck, the other team doesn't, you don't have to play defense. So the the more players they could incorporate into that group that were puck possession mentality, don't dump it, don't chase it down. If it's not there, regroup, go again, maintain possession. So stars like Nielsen and, and Russell Lane had fit right in because they were puck possession guys. They wanted that puck all the time. What was it like to play with with uh, Gretzky? I mean, here we, every time we have somebody on that's played with him, we kind of ask just because obviously, you know, one of the best players of all time. What was it? What was he like on an, and more off the ice? How was he a uh, guy in the locker room? From from a teammate perspective, I mean, he was he was just a guy in the room. 
I mean, that's that's the simplest way to put it. He was he was our one of our leaders, and he certainly he exemplified what the team stood for. But when it came down to being in the room, being on the bus and planes, et cetera, he was just a guy. He was the one that yelled out, "We're having a team meeting in the in the bar across the street when we land in the town." He's the one that got everybody together to go for lunch. It was just his way. It wasn't, uh, you know, there wasn't any sort of groundbreaking leadership skills he was employing. He just wanted to be with the players. He wanted to be with the guys, and and he just because he was a guy himself. I think the one thing I have come to appreciate after the fact is that I think Wayne worked really hard behind the scenes for his team. Um, there were, you know, times and events where coaches and managers may have been unhappy and wanted change, and I think I think Wayne worked really hard to keep the nucleus and keep the people in place. Uh, and I don't think that that maybe he got enough appreciation for that keeping that group together for the first, eight, you know, seven or eight years of the 80s. Yeah, another guy that we had on the, the podcast a little while ago, probably a year ago now, we had Grant Fuhrer on and, you know, about his experience on that team. Um, what, what's your relationship like with him now? Do you still keep in touch with him or is it kind of falling apart? We'll see each other on, on a pretty regular basis. You know, the Oilers have always been great about initiating uh, events, alumni events and activities for us to get together. So I don't think there's been a year that's gone by in the last seven or eight that we haven't had a haven't had an event together to catch up in that way, and um, that would be the you know the the extent of our relationship right now. But you know what it's like when you get back together with old teammates. It's like right where you <laughs> left off. It picks up again. Yeah. It's pretty it's pretty funny. We were uh, we we're getting on a bus one night a few years ago in Edmonton, and all the guys get on the bus and sit down, and I turn around and look because I was a nerd in the front. I turn around and look at the back of the bus, and everybody's sitting in about the same place they sat before. It was hilarious. <laughs> thirty years later, thirty years later, and the nerds and the euros are in the front, and the cool guys are in the back. Same as always. <laughs> right where you left off. Playing cards, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bring yeah. out the cards. All right, yeah, yeah. So just to touch a little bit on, you know, we talked about Edmonton, the Bruins. I mean, you had a stint with um, with Dallas and, and Montreal. Um, was there a team that you really felt like, um, you know, yeah, you really fit in more than others or were you really were your favorite team that you played for? You know, it's, it's it's really hard for me to call out a favorite. You know, here I, here I am in Dallas 22 years later after retirement. I'm still living in Dallas. So obviously there was some, some sentiment and special feelings about this city as we're here. But, I mean, without Edmonton and the start I got there, I mean, that, you know, I'm not a professional hockey player if they didn't believe in me. And and Boston, I think Boston is where I, you know I challenged myself in uh, in uh, leaving Edmonton. I challenged myself to be a starter and be a number one guy, and and I'm proud of that accomplishment. I'm proud of the the Bruins teammates that I had during those years. So you know every every stop along the way had a, a real special place for me. And to pick a favorite might be real hard. Yeah, I mean just to touch on it, we we asked you a little earlier before we got started to you know to be in six Stanley Cup finals. I mean, I, I don't even know of anybody else that's done that, really. I mean, that's that's a quite an accomplishment. Um, there's obviously there was you know three wins, uh, three losses, but was there one uh, series that stuck out more than others? Well, winning winning the first against the Islanders was that '84. Uh, I mean, that you know that was the you know the ultimate goal. That's what this organization 
hard to say, well, they they worked for five years together. But in reality, you know, when they joined the NHL in, in uh, what was it, uh, 70, 79, 80, they started the process of building a team to compete for the Stanley Cup. And, you know, five years later, they're in their second final and winning um, as a testament to the to the, uh, the vision that the, the management and the ownership had is that we're going to build this team this way and we're going to compete for the Stanley Cup. So that was a special, and you know, I got I got to be in the net on the in the final game. Grant hurt his shoulder in game two, and I played uh, three, four, and five, I think. And to beat the Islanders, our arch rival, they beat us the year before in the finals. So that was, you know, if you want to be the champ, you got to beat the champ sort of philosophy there. And uh, you know, the Islanders had as much to do with us learning how to win as anybody because we not we saw how hard it was for them to compete and win. And uh, so we had a pretty good lesson taught to us the year before. So I, that would have been that would have been my most proud. And then uh, the year uh, the year in Boston, uh, gosh, it was ninety ninety or ninety one. We went we won the President's Trophy, and we marched through. And we got in we got into the Bruins uh, the Bruins and Oilers again in the final, and they got us in the they got us in the series. The, those were that, that was a special year too. Back to the final, the team did everything we could to win. We just got a bit of a short bench with some injuries and couldn't power through, but uh, really proud of the, that team as well. You know, Andy, we're all hockey players here, played hockey all the way up, and just listening to you talk about winning a Stanley Cup, you know, gave me goosebumps. But um, what if we get a, someone on here who won the Stanley Cup, I always like to ask, you know, what did you do with the Stanley Cup the day you had it? And uh, what was some of the party scenes like uh, <laughs> you won the Cup? Well, start start with that was uh, that was pre formal day with the cup. That was uh, that was an era when you just did what you want and you took it wherever you want. So I'll I'll give you my story, and this is this is kind of a funny story. It was the last cup, and it was uh, that I was with the team, and it was the '87 final against the Flyers, and uh, we're we don't even we don't have a formal get together that night. We just we all say let's. Go, let's take our families. Let's all go to our favorite, our favorite bar. So everybody's there. Hundreds of people are there, and we're there having a good time. And it's a couple hours into the event, and I look around, and and the Stanley Cup is just sitting at the end of the bar. It's become, <laughs> it's become sort of, that's where it's supposed to be when the Oilers are partying, sort of attitude. <laughs> I, I say to my, I say to my wife, I said, uh, Carla, let's go, and we walk over to the end of the bar and I pick the cup up and typical of the fans, they start to cheer a little bit and pat you on the back. And I walk right out the door and I put the cup in the back of the station wagon or SUV, sorry. <laughs> and uh, I take it home and I got it at home that night. I get up with uh, this is two o'clock in the morning. I get up at seven thirty. 30, uh, take my daughter to school. She's in first grade. I open the car up. I lift the cup out. I put it on the, on the secretary's desk, and I said, I'll be back after school to pick it up. They, spent the whole, they didn't go to class that day. They didn't, they didn't have any classes. They had, a, they had a party in the gym, and I went back, and the, 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 uh, the cup was there, and all the families were there. It was a picture day and a celebration day. And the footnote to that story is I get a call about lunchtime from one of the Oilers personnel, and they say, Andy, do you know where the cup is? And I, I just bluntly <laughs> say, yeah, it's at, it's at my daughter's elementary school. Mm-hmm. 
I'm picking it up a tree. And he said, do you mind bringing that back to the rink? And I said, yeah, I can do that. And that, was, that was my first official day with the cup, and I stole it out, out of the bar. Well, that's great. You took it to your daughter's school. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, they had a good time with it. Nice. And and you still got the rings? You keep them close? Yeah, they're squirreled away uh, safely in safe deposit box, and we'll pull them out every once in a while and wear them, and that's, that's fun to do, too. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I enjoy that. Not very often, though. Yeah, we had uh, we had Eddie Belfour on. Do you see him down in Dallas at all? I see Eddie once in a while. Uh, I didn't like the picture I saw him the last time I saw him. It wasn't very nice. <laughs> yeah, no, that was rough. Well, when, when, when you start your own whiskey company, that's bound to happen eventually. I don't think there's many. There's not many in the NHL that are more appropriate to write a book. I think Eddie better write that book. Yeah, we had a great, great time with him and his son on the on the show, and um, you know what a great guy. Kind of sucked to see that that mugshot, but um, I know he, he seems like he was still having fun when they were taking his pictures. So I guess a testament yeah, to yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that. Other, was, that other guy shows up every once in a while. Yeah, <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Him and uh, Brett Hull are having a contest, I think. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. All right, guys. Um, Who's got another question for Andy before we let him go here? No, I just uh, appreciate it, Andy. Uh, it's an honor to speak with you, man. Um, thanks for coming on. I enjoy it. No, no worries, fellas. Anytime you need some. Hey, just one. I just ask you one more question before we let you go. Um, you played in the Olympics in Calgary, right? Yeah, eighty-eight. Eighty-eight. So uh, I guess I always like to ask uh, the guy, you know, the guys that come on that played for their country. You know, what, what was that like? Was it a little bit different than? playing in the pros or, you know, do, like playing for your country. Um, what was that like? Well, uh, that was, that was prior to the NHL shutting the season down and letting players go. So I had to make an, a, a commitment in October to join the program. And I was in a bit of a contract battle with the Oilers. Nothing was happening there. So I just, I, in, in October, I joined the national team and played, in the program, you know, all of October, November, December, January, and then here we are, Calgary Olympics. And it was, I mean, it was back to the basics in terms of, in terms of the hockey. You, you didn't have, uh, you know, a lot of excess people around. You did a lot of things for yourself. You carried your bags to the rink and stuff like that. And it was, it was really a, a great experience to get back to the, to the basics of the game. And I, I loved it. I mean, I absolutely loved it. Had a good experience with it. Loved the teammates. Many of them, you know, gone and bigger and better things. And uh, so it was. A, it was a great. It was a big commitment, but it was a great commitment in the end. And then, the, and then the the two teams uh, that I was on the coaching staff would have been uh, uh, Salt Lake in '02 and um, uh, Torino in '06. I was on staff for both of those teams. Yeah, what a great experience that is, and we always like to talk to the guys about the Olympics, and it's just something that very few people get a chance to do, um, but it always seems to be an ultimate goal. I mean, NHL is, you know, one thing, but to play for your country, it's, it's just got to be one of those yeah. ultimate goals for athletes, and let me just ask you real quick while we got you on here, I know you were a part of the PLP, uh, the, the Players Association, um, I think it was during the lockout, but just uh, sure. now they have... Obviously, the, the players' union is fighting for these guys to be able to play in the Olympics, and uh, it hasn't. You know, the NHL still hasn't made a decision. Uh, the union's fighting for it. You know, what, what's your thoughts on that? Do you think that NHL should obviously these guys should get a chance to play? Uh, it has to make sense on a bunch of different fronts. Let's put it that way. 
it has to make sense for the players in terms of their careers. You know, you, you, you run a, a risk when you play in these events that, you know, uh, you're at risk of injuring and injuring your career. So the insurance aspect for the players is pretty significant. That's really important. From the league standpoint, they have the same sentiments. They don't want their best players over there getting hurt and hurting the game that continues on in the NHL. So that would, for me, that would be a big thing. And then financially, you know, the league shuts down at a prime time in its in its year, in its season. I mean, that's a huge commitment. Probably three weekends gone during that time. Uh, so it's it's got to make sense financially for them, which means, you know, uh, the Olympic Committee and the IHF have to make it worth their while to shut the league down. So uh, I think economics take a big part of this. But, uh, you know, just making sure you can bring the product back to the NHL and put the same product on the ice is is, uh, is the primary concern of the NHL people. They want, they want to do it, but at the same time, they don't want to hurt the product that the fans pay money and, and uh, cheer for back here in North America. So a lot of, a lot of balls in the air to make it happen, I'm, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think you probably ask a hundred players there, there might be 85 that want to do it. So, you know, who, who knows? Yeah. yeah. But I think, I think it's popular with the players and everything else has to make sense for them to get in on board. So just uh, just one more question here. You know, you talk about how, how the game has changed and stuff like that. Um, you know, with all of the clutching and grabbing being taken away and, you know, the tripping penalties and, and all that kind of stuff and not being able to get in the hands. And now they're talking about um, the cross-checking rule and changing that and changing the offsides rule where you can have your stick up or your skate in the air and it's still going to be on sides. Do you think that the league's getting too involved on uh, changing the rules of the game and getting away from where it was? There's, there's always been a concern for me that, they over officiate or over regulate something that they have in place to uh, affect the the issue. So the example would be, you know, that the the excessive hitting. They're they're making new rules about hitting. They've always had the rules there, and they can they can alter the severity of penalties based on the referee's interpretation. Uh, you know, they they're taking. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Is they're taking the officials' ability to interpret and rule, and they're they're just trying to make it standard or or the same across the board. And I, I think you undermine the credibility of these officials that have worked their life to get to that spot. Uh, you got to give them you got to give them the right or the responsibility to do their jobs. And unfortunately, you 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 officially you rule it out, put so many rules in place takes it out of the referee's hands they can't they can't make a uh, a decision they can't use any sort of arbitrary skills it's just black and white and you end up undermining these guys and you can you can tell on many occasions that the officials are upset that they have to apply this rule because they, they if they had the ability to interpret it they may interpret it differently and that's you know, that's unfortunate where our game's going, but it doesn't seem like it's any different in any other major sports where uh, they're attempting to hold these officials to a level of perfection. And I, I think it, it hurts the game in the long run, uh, even though you get a few more calls right. Big deal. The trapezoid behind the net. Oh, I, I told people when they introduced this, uh, that was after the 04 lockout, right? I was on staff here in Dallas, and my goalie, uh, Marty Turco, was hands down the best puck handling goalie in the NHL at the time. 
and I had I had one rule for Marty, and it was to stay out of the corners or the trapezoid areas. You can't go in there and make plays. It's too far from the net. Too many critical turnovers and and goals against. I said that was my whole speech with Marty. I had the best puck handler in the league, but I pleaded with him not to go into these corners. And what does the league do? They make a rule that not doesn't allow them to go in those corners. It solved <laughs> it solved my problem. It ruined go. the game. I mean, from a forecheck standpoint, it ruined the game. But it solved my problem. I didn't have to tell Marty to stay out of there. <laughs> yeah, we and, had, we had... and Marty. Yeah, Marty's he's uh, intuitive about the game, so we talked it through for a little while, and then he realized I don't have to go in there. I can cut the pucks off before it. So now Marty is even more exciting because he races out of the net along the goal line, he stops the puck before it goes in the trapezoid, and his feet are in the trapezoid, and the puck's an inch out, and everybody's ooing and aahing, and Marty <laughs> makes a great pass up the ice. I mean, it's it's beautiful, and uh, you know the league sort of took one part away from him and Marty interpreted it away and he made another exciting part of the game. There we go. All right. So I guess the last question I got for you is what do you uh, recommend to all the youngster goalies out there? What should they, how should they work on being a better goalie? Uh, youngster player. Well, any young player, there's, there's a couple things that have to happen. First off, every day you go on the ice, uh, you got to enjoy yourself uh, for sure. And uh, the, the, after 40 years of coaching and playing in, in this game, the best way to enjoy yourself is to be the hardest worker on the ice. That's the bottom line. Don't care what happens, game score, practice, workload. If you can be the hardest worker on yourself on the ice, you're going to have a lot of fun. And that's that's primary to me. Is uh, That's what I see. Now the best, the hardest working players are now the best players. That's the bottom line. So if you aspire to be a player, figure out how to be the hardest worker on your team, and you'll have a lot of enjoyment trying to be the hardest worker. Yeah, great, great advice. Some of these kids need that yeah. need that advice actually today. So yeah, hey, Andy, really, really appreciate you coming on the Blue Line Hockey Club today and uh, taking time out of your schedule to fit us in. And it's been a pleasure to speak with somebody that's done so many things as you as you have. And uh, you know, wish you the best of luck in retirement and uh, have some fun on the golf course, my man. My pleasure. You're welcome, fellas. All right. Good night. Yeah, good take night, care. Andy, thank you. You're welcome, guys. No problem. See you later. See ya. Bye. All right, boys. Andy Moog. Andy Moog is a legend in his time. I mean, geez, talk about a person that's made it to six Stanley Cup finals. I mean, can you guys think of anybody else that's – I mean, we could look it up. But, I mean, who's been to, to six finals? Up. I mean, won three but was in six. I mean, there's guys that wait their whole career to be in, in a Stanley Cup final. Um, it's one of the hardest things to do in sports. Uh, what an accomplishment for, for somebody like Andy. Uh, I play for the – for the Olympic team. I mean, so he's got that on his belt too. So he's pretty much done everything. He's got over the six, 739 wins as a goalie. Um, I know Pat's got a stat. I think he's right up there in one of the top goalies for, for wins. Um, you know, so great accomplishments he has. He's got all the stats, got all the records. He's got three rings uh, and the safety deposit box. I mean, you know, what an amazing career he's had. And he's still giving back to the game of hockey. Like so many of these guys do now uh, where he's got his clinic that he does. And, uh, in two different areas of Canada. So pretty cool. Um, great to talk to him. And, you know, it's, it's always fun to talk to some of these uh, all-stars really. Yeah. And, you know, like I said earlier during the podcast that, uh, 
you know, he was my first NHL game that I went to. Um, and he was starting and, you know, when we were young kids collecting cards, I, I tried to collect the whole Bruins team and I had like five or six cards, Andy Moog. Um, but as of 2019, Moog ranks third on the Bruins list of playoff wins by a goaltender with 36. That's behind Tuka Rask with 50 and, uh, Gary Cheevers with 53. So he still has a record with the Boston Bruins. Um, with most playoff wins. But the one thing I wanted to ask him was, you know, going to so many Stanley Cups, six, won three, lost three. Like, it's not even like a big deal to him. You know, it's like just another fucking day. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, when, and he was talking about winning the Stanley Cup and, you know, just little bits about the, taking the Stanley Cup to the bar and, and some of the, uh, you know, game seven he got to play and what whatnot whatever he said it was just i actually got goosebumps like can you imagine playing in the stanley cup and like the pinnacle of hockey and it's just like yeah i was there game seven we won the stanley cup yeah one three it's like nonchalant nothing just just the stanley cup i mean that's fucking you know, if I get a chance to see the Stanley Cup, uh, I'm fucking there. I told you, I told you guys the story about in Portland, Maine, when uh, the Stanley Cup came there. I think I said this way back, like episode four, that uh, uh, the Stanley Cup came to Portland, Maine, when I was living in Maine, and I, you know, told my wife that you know we we're gonna have to get there early because there's gonna be a line out the door. And uh, there's going to be a lot of fucking people there just because, you know, I was excited. I, I got drunk the night before I couldn't wait, got my clothes out and we get there and fucking no one's there except me and my wife. So I, I, I just get excited about the Stanley cup. I mean, yeah, it's funny how some people don't, don't get it, you know, unless you're a hockey guy, you know, I know. And he's, and he didn't, you know, it's just, just a normal, Normal day to win the Stanley Cup. Well, yeah, great interview, great guy. Who was it that we had on the first the enforcer from the Canadians? Um, big black guy, George Larock. George Larock, yeah. yeah. Like, like the biggest thing for him that he could remember that his his excitement was his hat trick. And remember that, and he just would go on he was going on about like every detail of it. That's yeah. was such a huge deal to him that he had this one hat trick, right? Where then you got a guy like Andy that's you know been to six cups, so. It's just different perspective from everybody's different, you know, their careers are obviously different, but it's uh, definitely an honor to have people like that come on our show, take time out of their, their family time with their uh, families and stuff like that to come on and talk to us and give us perspectives. I'm, I'm sure there's Andy Moog fans out there that are, you know, loving to listen to the, to the stories that he's told some of the stories that, you know, probably never heard before, uh, especially the cup story. You know, that was pretty cool. I mean, how about bringing the, the cup to your kids in elementary school and just taking off? All right, we'll be back later. <laughs> I mean, nowadays you got the guy that has to be the guy, the, the keeper of the cup, you know, he's, he's like right next to it all the time. And he's got like a full-time job, just like watching out, watching after the damn thing before. And, you know, he takes it to his kids, kids school and goes home, takes a nap. Yeah, the uh, that that was a good part of the uh, <laughs> the funny thing was that uh, when he started to talk, that he just took the cup off the end of the bar and took it to his daughter's school. Like now they have this guy Philip Philip Pritchard, I think his name is, who doesn't leave the cup side. He is 
he follows it around, you know. Yeah, and back in the day, you did that. It was just uh, you could just do whatever you wanted with it. So. Oh God, Patrick. Anyways, boys, we uh, we're rolling out a new part of our podcast, and it's going to be brought to you by Brandon Bills tonight. And we're going to do something different opposed to just doing the hockey news. We're going to get into something we call around the rink, and we're going to bring up some topics of what's going on in the league. And each of us are going to banner for a minute about the topic and give our perspectives on it and uh, we'll go from there. So we're going to start it out for the first time, boys, around the rink, baby. All right. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to start with, with uh, Patrick Ocolardi Sullivan. We've had a lot of, a lot of talk this year with uh, Dustin uh, Bufflin and, you know, the big fucklin where, you know, he had his ankle injury, didn't report it to his team. And apparently now he had surgery. Uh, none of it was approved by the team. So they've been battling back and forth what's going to happen there. And it just came out this week that he is pretty much any day now, any week, they, they're going to be terminating the contract between the two of them. And uh, he's going to be going up on the free trading block very soon. And uh, it could be this week, could be next week, but it's happening. Um, it's all over the, the media this week. So, you know, Pat, what do you think about uh, his decision to hold out, not play, um, not not disclose his injury, have surgery without without getting approved, and pretty much just kind of doing his own thing and not going along with the, the team's uh, guidelines? No, I think we were one of the uh, first people to go on Twitter to say something about Bufflin not interested in uh, Winnipeg. Uh, we've said it numerous times on the podcast, who the fuck wants to play in Winnipeg? Uh, they have sidewalks underneath the street. I think there's more to it than his ankle. I think that was more of an excuse. Um, you know, he, he wants to come back, right, to the NHL, but um, it's obvious they parted ways, uh, you know, with each other. So I, I, I think it's more to do with he didn't want to be in Winnipeg anymore. And um, some team's going to get a hell of a defenseman uh, here in the next couple of weeks, you know, if when he's game time ready. All right, well, let's go over to Pete. Pete, what do you think about this controversy? Well, I mean, like Pat said, we, we broke this a, a while ago, and I don't have much more to add to that. Winnipeg is a tough, brutal city. I mean, I, I know it's a big hockey town and everything, but – uh, I think it was Shaver that said, uh, you know, having the local people chirp you while you're, you know, outside in the local markets or whatever doesn't sound like a great thing. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. All right, Detroit, give us your input, man. Yeah, I don't know. I think we put a little bit too much uh, hatred on the city of Winnipeg, to be honest with you, on this <laughs> podcast. But um, I think uh, there's, there's obviously more to it as as opposed to just this guy has an ankle injury and wants to take care of himself. Like, um, I don't know, he's probably giving that city all he can give him. Maybe he doesn't feel respected there or whatnot. Who knows what goes in behind it, you know? Um, you know, I don't know. You can relate You can relate to somebody that, you know, there could be a lot more behind the scenes than, than what meets the eye. And uh, maybe a change of scenery, you know, in pro sports, you get players that, um, you know, you, you identify them with one city and, uh, you know, they've done very well there and, you know, just, it runs its course. So I look forward to, to Dustin, hopefully getting in a place where, you know, maybe he's mentally more happy. Um, cause there, there could be something to do with the fact that I, I think maybe his, uh, as Marshawn Lynch would say, maybe his mentals aren't all straight and, uh, he wants to get somewhere else to, uh, where he can, where he can enjoy the game a little more. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, 
You know, if, I'm going to put it into perspective, and I I don't think that the uh, the players should be holding out like this. I think I've talked about it before on the show. Um, you know, if you have an injury, that's one thing. If you just don't want to play, then just come out and say, "Hey, trade me. I don't want to play here." You know, and be be upfront with the team, be honest about it. And if that's how you feel, just give them the opportunity to you know trade you. Uh, so I don't I don't really agree with how we went about all this. Um, you know, I think he could have done it in a better way. And uh, you know, my opinion, I think they're going to free up about seven point two million dollars of cap space to get to get them off the books. Um, so that's going to give them some room to bring somebody in for the playoff run for Winnipeg. So I mean, I think they're at the point where they're just going to say, "Hey, man, let's just cut our cut our losses here, free up cap space, and go into the trade deadline, pick somebody up." On the other hand, Buffalo's going to get a chance to um, go play for a team that really needs a good defenseman. So there's plenty of teams out there, like you know, the, the Maple Leafs are are a good team that pick up to pick up a defenseman right now. Um, they're very offensive heavy. They could use a defenseman. There's other teams in the league like that. So he'll find his spot, but I've also heard that he hasn't even been skating. So, you know, how ready is he going to be to play? So We love you, Winnipeg. <laughs> All right, boys. Uh, second question of the round of rank, baby. We have uh, Ovi. You know, obviously we've been talking about him. He's, he's just every week he seems to beat somebody on the all-time goals list. Uh, he's been on fire. I, he even said himself that he hasn't ever had a streak like this in his career. Uh, he just seems to be finding the net every night. He just had a, a 27th career hat trick um, this week. So he's, I think he's got uh, 14 goals in the last 12 games. So something crazy. Uh, he's been he's been playing on fire. Um, you know, what do you guys think about Ovi? And you know, as far as do you think he can catch Gretzky? Um, you know, he's going to be catching. I think he's got 698 goals. So he's going to he's got 40 goals for the season. Um, and he's going to join the 700 club here very shortly. Give us your thoughts, Patrick. You know, when's this guy going to slow down is my question. I mean, he just keeps coming on every year, keeps coming and coming and coming. And would you say he's got 27 career hat trick? I mean, and he's still got a couple years to play. Uh, do I think he's going to beat uh, – do I, do I think he can beat Gretzky's uh, all-time record? I mean, it's possible he needs 100 goals. I think he's going to play for another three to four years. So I think it's possible. Yeah. I mean, it's going to take a significant injury to put Ovechkin, you know, out of the scoring race. I mean, he is just, he's an animal on the ice and his his shots hard and, you know, Washington's put the right people around him to uh, um, put him, you know, on this leaderboard seventh all time. Pete, what do you got, man? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a story of if he plays, he's going to he's going to beat the record, I, I believe. Um, he's just on fire right now, and you know, with the momentum he has, I, I don't see him not. Um, I don't see him not getting there. You trade. Well, I mean, there's more to it. I mean, you got you got to average like uh, he has to have like four. I think the if you're doing doing some simple math, you'd have to have like uh, play for at least you know four and a half, five more years, and have 40 goal seasons every single one of those every single one of those years. So um, you're talking about a lot of good health. You're talking about an aging player um, that would need to have a you know a lot of good fortune on his side. Do I think he's going to break the record? I don't. Um, I think he'll come very very close, but. Um, I think that's one of those untouchable records that, you know, unless he has perfect health and a perfect uh, situation, you know, you're talking about 
like I just said, 40 goal seasons for the next five years. I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot to, you know, that's a lot to, to, uh, uh, put on your plate. So we'll see what happens. My, my personal opinion, I don't think he'll beat it. I think he'll come really, really close. And I just think it's one of those records that might never be touched. Plus he's really physical. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yep. And, um, you know, just to, my, my perspective on this is that, you know, I think that, you know, he might be the type of guy that will play as long as he possibly can to beat that record. And it's, you know, no one thought it would ever be broken. Obviously Rexy's got some records that will probably never be touched, but you know, in my, in my opinion, I, I hope he doesn't just because I'm a huge Gretzky fan and, uh, you know, I, I love everything about Gretzky and I want him to have those records. But uh, and if anybody can do it, you know, he's the guy that's going to be yeah, – I don't think there's any – maybe who else in history is going to even come close to that. Um, but he is on fire right now for his age, 38 years old or something. I don't know. He's 36 maybe. Um, yeah, he's just playing lights out, one of the best players in the league. He's uh, three goals ahead of Pasternak right now, I believe. So, I mean – still on top of his game and you know I, I i think he'll he'll play long enough to just try to beat that record i think that's probably in the back of his head like how many do i have to play six seasons you know i just if you're that guy and you're chasing that record to be the the, the best player of all times goals beat his goals records i mean that's something i see him might play be a pull a yager on that one all right boys next one was we talked about this quite a bit you know they were just playing the, the Maple Leafs tonight. The Rangers, what are the Rangers going to do at the trade deadline? Are they going to give up a goalie? Uh, what's going to happen with Kreider? Uh, do, you, do you guys think there's going to be some major change in the, changes there, a major trade, uh, especially in the goaltending area? What do you think, Pat? I mean, <clears throat> do they have to do anything? Uh, technically, they don't, right? Um Lundquist has got a no-trade clause. I mean, I don't know what their cap is, but I think I don't think they have to do anything, right? I think they're talking about getting Kreider out there just to get more young players. I mean, Kreider wants to get paid a lot of money. I don't think they have enough money to pay him, and they're kind of thinking that you know get a lot for him. Um, Lundqvist, I mean, yeah, let's say he stays. Um, he's not going to be there for another. I mean, he's going to be there for another year, maybe two max. Um, it's hard to say. I think what, what I would do is I would trade Kreider for a bunch of younger players. Um, definitely keep George off, uh, the, their goalie, whatever his name is. And, um, you know, hold on to that goalie as long as you can. I mean, they'd have two stellar goalies. And, um, I mean, they got Adam Fox on D who's, you know, people are talking about Calder Cup. So they're doing well with uh, the younger players. Um, I don't know. I, I guess trade Kreider. I don't know. We'll see what happens. What do you got? He too. Yeah, I don't know. I'm. I guess I'm on the other side of the fence. I don't. I. I wouldn't. I wouldn't ship Kreider off. Honestly, I, you got such a young team. It's he's like the little bit of veteran uh, presence that you have on that squad. I think you need to have a little bit of veteran presence. That's a sweet. That's sweet looking. Bet they. Uh, they have a little bit of. You know, he's the the only bit of vet, veteran presence that they have. So I wouldn't. I don't know if I would ship him off. I think he brings a lot to the table. He has physicality. He's a goal scorer. Um. I think you mix that in. You get another good uh, draft maybe coming up here this year, bringing a couple of young free agents or something in the offseason. I think the Rangers are closer than, you know, people think. Um, and like I say, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm in the boat now where I, I would be kind of trying to ship probably Lundqvist off if he'll if he'll agree to it, if he'd be willing to do that. I'm not sure if he's even willing to do that. Like you say, he's got to sign off on it. So 
Um, I'd be in more in the boat of let's let's look let's examine whether or not uh, Lundquist will do it. I wouldn't be getting rid of some primetime talent and and Kreider. What do you got, Pete? I mean, I, I as far as the Rangers go, I, I just think they've made the change to uh, you know David Quinn. They've got the younger core in. I think I would agree with he too. They're a lot closer, I think, than most people are giving them probably credit. Um, but I do think that it's probably time to get rid of Lundqvist. And, okay. you know, with, the, with, with this deadline coming up, make the change, go young, and just, you know, deal with it. Um, you're going to get a lot of upside of getting rid of Lundqvist if he agrees. Um, and, you know, it frees up a lot of money on the books, so. Yeah, I'm with, yeah, with uh, Pete and Derek on this one. If, if I think they're going to make any moves, I think Lundqvist is the move. Obviously, in a rebuild, I think uh, they've got the goaltenders to fill in if Lundqvist does go. But I think the biggest challenge there is if he does want to stay, then they're, they're stuck. They're, he, he's got a no trade in his com, uh, contract. So, I mean, I, I think it just comes down to what he's going to do. But uh, I mean, that's, that's what I see with the Rangers. So, are they, yeah, I mean, I, I see it. I, there's just – it's different now. There's so many goalies that I hate to say it, like if Lundqvist goes down, let's say he gets hurt, there are goalies around the league or wherever. If they need to pick up a goalie, they could get strong goalies. It's just, I think there's a lot of goalies that, you know, pick somebody young that, who can, you know, be that four or five year uh, goal. Yeah. Solid. All right, boys. Well, there's a lot of rumors out in Seattle about the uh, Seattle Krakens, and uh, you know we've talked about it. We don't know. It's, is it a rumor? Is it happening? Um, you know, is there a different name that's going to be coming out? What have you guys heard on this front? Is it going to be the Krakens? We're going to have to deal with that name forever, or what? Well, I heard something come out from Seattle that they're aware of the fishy rumors. You know, fishy rumors surrounding their team, but. Um, they still haven't come out. Um, they said something about, you know, the tallest mountains in the deepest ocean. So I don't know. There's kind of the little text or tweet they put out. You can, you know, take it many different ways. But if they, if Kraken is the, uh, Krakens are the name, like, forget about it. I don't even know if I'll follow them or cheer for them. I, I, I'm just out of Krakens. I think. Anything else, come up with something better than that. That's just – I'm not even a big fan of that at all. That's like the can kangaroos. <laughs> yeah, just to, to uh, let you guys know what the tweet Pat's talking about, uh, the tweet they put out was, um, while we're aware of some fishy rumors surrounding our team's name, please be rest assured we are doing our due diligence by scoring the depths of the ocean, the tallest mountains, the, the densest parts of the forest to find the right name for our great green city. So whatever the fuck that means, what do you think, Pete? I mean, I'm all for the legalization of marijuana, but that puts out there. <laughs> you know, Krakens, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I'm not there. Derek? Probably one of the dumbest names I've ever fucking heard of, to be honest with you, Krakens. Um, whoever's in marketing, if that turns out to be their name, they should be fired immediately. Um uh, <laughs> But besides that, I mean, it's it's like it's almost as dumb as like when, you know, Anaheim came out with the Mighty Ducks, like after the movie came out. It's so stupid. Um, I mean, now they're called the Ducks. I guess that's better. But um, I don't know. It, 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 I think 
you know, there's a lot of people making a lot of money to come up with a really stupid fucking name, and it's kind of pathetic. And I hope that they can come up with something better. This is uh, this is hockey. It's uh, you know, it's a manly game. It is a physical game, and to give a very uh, I, I won't use any words that are un, you know not politically correct, but it's it's a really stupid name. Yeah, I mean, as far as is what I see from this is. Uh, I think Seattle might be backtracking on this a little bit. I mean, maybe they leaked it themselves just to see what people, what people would think and what people, you know, think about the name before they go with it. Um, you know, cause there's a lot of people like us saying that, you know, it's pretty fucking dumb. Uh, you know, so that gives them a chance to go back and, and look at the drawing board and, and find something else. You know, I mean, maybe that was a smart move on their part. Maybe they were going for that name and, uh, you know, just trying to see what the feedback was. Uh, I mean, I like the idea of letting the fans vote. And, you know, coming up with a, a decent amount of, uh, you know, input from the fans to see what they want to, they want their city to have as a name, uh, you know, because obviously there's, those are the people that are coming to the games and those are the people that you want to support you. So I kind of like that idea. I know they did something about that, but whether they're listening to it or not, I don't know. So oh, they're listening to us, fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> All right, boys, the last one out around the rink tonight, Milan Lucic. Uh, obviously, the Battle of Alberta turned into quite a battle um, the first game, and there were some fights um, with Cashin and, and Matthew Kachuk right right off the face. It was actually uh, Matthew Kachuk wanted to go a little early in the game, and they ended up going you know, a little bit later than he wanted to, but they went right after the faceoff. Um, right after the puck was dropped, uh, they were dropping the gloves. Matthew Kachuk almost had his glove off before the puck was dropped, actually. And there was a couple other scraps in that game. And um, obviously they had their second game of the Battle of Alberta. Um, and I guess one of the biggest controversies out of all of it, after all the fights and all the bullshit that happened in those two games, um, you know, where was Milan Lucic in, in this? And uh, why didn't he fight? Why didn't he step up? Why didn't he become the the person that he's paid to enforce on that team um, to be that guy that makes sure that nobody fucks with, with people on, on Calgary. Um, his tweet that he came out with was, uh, I don't know what people expect. It's not the eighties anymore. Uh, he said that on Sportsnet, and he says, you can't go around jumping people. If you notice, it was pretty quiet out there when I was on the ice. Uh, what do you think, Pat? I mean, who, who even, why are we even talking about this? If you're not a hockey player, you have no idea. If you're a hockey player, I, I guarantee that not one hockey player um, agrees with this. I mean, Milan Lucic, you know, he summed it up perfectly. I mean, when he's on the ice, you know, when a fighter's on the ice and hockey players know, you're pretty much, you know, doing what you're supposed to do. That's why they're fighting in the NHL. Yes. That's why there's fighting in the NHL. And to say that, you know, why weren't you fighting Milan? Well, I, he said, I didn't get my opportunity. Nobody was fighting me. I mean, wh- what the fuck you want me to do? Grab someone and start punching them in the face. So for this to even be out in the news and for us to be talking about it, it's hot. No, just hockey fans who have no idea who have never played hockey came up with this and it's the dumbest thing I ever heard. If someone wanted to fight Milan Lucic, he'll fucking fight you. So don't even worry about it. Brother, what do you got? It's not the question. Well, I mean, my first instinct was if he wasn't the first one on the next shift, then there's a problem. 
um, you know, I think that, you know, personally, that is his role. And nobody's saying for him to jump somebody. Um, but you do find somebody and you, you know, you tap them on the leg and, you know, you make things happen. Uh, so I, I don't know. Uh, the game has changed, so maybe that's no longer acceptable. But that was my, my, my first instinct was he should have been the first person on the ice uh, on the next shift. What do you got, Derek? Well, you know, I'm not really up to date on this topic, so I'm going to defer to Rob because he pretty much knows everything. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I, I, I just want to say that he – I mean – Maybe he was on the next shift, Rob, but still, not someone's not just gonna let him. You know, he's not. He, yeah, he might tap someone on the shin pads, but it doesn't mean that they're gonna fight him. I mean, they're probably gonna turtle or not fight him at all. So, no, all kidding aside, though, I, I think um, I think that you know he has a presence regardless. You know, like he, like I know he's, you know, he was uh, quoted kind of saying like. You know, basically, you know, when I'm on the ice, there's not a lot of shit going down anyway. So, I mean, um, he's got a presence about him. I don't think he needs to go out there, jump the boards and tackle somebody by the neck and smash him to the ground, you know, to make a, make a point or to prove that he's an enforcer. So um, his presence is felt out there, whether or not he's fighting or not. I mean, it's I think he's keeping people in check without even saying anything. So I'm just talking in, in re- response to Cassian horse collaring. They're one of their best players. Um, to me, that's you know that's unacceptable to see him get ragged out like that. Yeah. Uh, so my perspective on the whole thing is that you know obviously Matthew Kachuk brings a shit on upon himself, right? So um, he seems to be one of these guys that wants to be um, the asshole on the ice, and, and he causes a lot of problems. So you know, well, he let's gets... just say gritty. He's gritty. We won't call him yeah. an asshole. I like. Yeah. He's being gritty. Um, you know, obviously he, he fought Cashin. They talked about it. You know, they, they ended up dropping the gloves. Um, the thing that I have with Matthew Kachuk is I, I think that, he, you know, I don't think he needs to be fighting people like this, you know, and be spe- especially like, you know, bigger guys like Cashin, right? So I think he's getting out of his game a little bit. He's a goal scorer. Um, you know, spend more time on the ice scoring goals instead of in the penalty box for five minutes for fighting majors. That's what I. That's what I'm kind of getting out of Matthew Chuck here. As far as Milan Lucic goes, uh, you know he, he didn't fight any of the games. And then uh, if you saw in the news today, they played San Jose and he absolutely wrecked Evander Kane, massive hit. And then he dropped the gloves and fucking battled up with uh, with Goodrow. So, so, so he came at yeah, yeah. So I mean, right after all this media shit came out, it kind of must have just pissed him off, and he he went off on on the, the San Jose Sharks. So I think he knows his role. My whole part, my whole thing on this was that you know he he kind of gets paid to go out there and be a presence. So when you're Battle of Alberta, you need to be the guy out there that's settling some scores, in my opinion. Um, if you need to uh, grab a hold of somebody and beat the shit out of them and, and get the shit to stop for for a few minutes, so your your top guys aren't fighting. Uh, you know, I, I think that's his role. He hasn't been able to produce goal-wise in the last couple of years. You know, so if that's his niche and that's what he's going to do, the games like Battle of Alberta are the games that you need to drop the gloves, the games where you need to fucking blast somebody and knock them on their ass. It's not two, two three games later against San Jose Sharks. But, yeah. you know, that, that's my, my perspective on that. Uh, well, go ahead, he Pat. Hit a, he hit Evander Kane, so Evander Kane can handle himself. And then some little mutant puke went after him to fight him and you know 
Lucic would have just killed him. So they luckily it was just Lucci got a few pops, but uh, I mean, leave Milan Lucci's alone. He'll kick anyone's ass in the league. All right, boys, uh, good round the rake and uh... <laughs> the stadium series uh, and all these winter games. You know, do you guys get excited for those or well, I don't? I don't really. You know, it's not like the Super Bowl to me, or it's not like the uh, the playoffs. Um, I don't really. I don't really care either way. And, and I'm a big hockey fan. Yeah, I'll go first on this one. As far as, uh, you know, they don't do as many as they used to. Um, they used to do, you know, multiple games in 2014, 2016. Um, now it's back to one game. I'm sure it's a ton of money to set these games up and to put it on. Maybe that's why, why they're, you know, bringing it back a little bit. Or maybe they're not getting the ratings. But, uh, you know, I like I like to see it. You know, it's usually a Saturday afternoon game, so there's not much going on. Uh, you can catch a, catch a good hockey game in the afternoon, different experience. It's, uh, you know, good. I'm sure the players like it. Uh, it's it's just something different for the fans. So I'm a fan of it. You know, I've always kind of liked the stadium series, and I'm glad that they're keeping it going. How about you, Robbie? Uh, to me, I, I think it just brings back, um, you know, childhood memories of being outside and playing hockey on the outdoor rinks. So I, I do kind of like it. Um, I think that it, it's a good opportunity. The, the fans are record numbers. I think the, the one in Dallas was like 80,000 people. So, I mean, that's a ton. It's, it's a ton of people. The, the uh, Hurricanes is sold out as 18 or 19,000. So, yeah. you know, those outdoor stadium games uh, are important, I think, for the growth of the game. Um, I think some of them are bigger than that, right? They're up in the 80, 60, 70, 80,000. Yeah. yeah. I think Michigan, yeah. when they played it at Michigan, had like 100,000. Yeah. Michigan, I think, holds the record, yeah. So, you know, for me, like, it's it's in uh, Minnesota next year for New Year's. Um, I, I'm thinking that would be a good opportunity. Uh, I, it sounds like a good, good event to me, outdoor hockey. Sure. You like Derek? You like him? You fan of him? I do. Yeah, I think it's good. I think, um, especially like with a sport like hockey, you know, it kind of it it's uh, kind of mirrors like a baseball season. You know, it's I feel like the seasons are too long. Um, so you know, when you mix it in and you put like a little event like that, that you know, fan, kind of break it up a little bit, break up the monotony. I know from talking to uh, your nephew Jordan when he was home, you know, it, it, the season gets long. It's a grind. It gets you know going to the rink day in and day out and, you know, the, the, you know, the practice schedule and just the regiment of a season, you know, it gets kind of, you know, monotonous. So um, I think for the players and for the fans, it's nice to give like a little breath of fresh air to, to, uh, to do something like this, you know, it's just, you know, it gives something to be excited about, you know, when you're playing, you know, 90 games or whatever the fuck it is, a hundred games a year, whatever, whatever it boils down to be, it's just, yeah, it gets old, man. It gets it gets yeah. old just watching the same thing day in and day out. So I think it's I think it's good for the game. Nice. All right, boys. The last one for the around the rink tonight is uh, Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes has been a, a stud out in Vancouver. Obviously, uh, his rookie season out there. I uh, made the All Star game. Actually, was one of the guys that played very well in the All Star game, if you can even count that. But I think he had five goals or something crazy, <laughs> five points, <laughs> something something crazy like that. But you know, he's a uh, He's been playing really well this this year. He's, um, I think, he leads the team in ice time as far as uh, 
anybody on, on Vancouver. Uh, he's got tons of power, power play goals. I think he even is up there as the most uh, goals for a defenseman at this point. And uh, I guess the question is, boys, do you think Quinn Hughes is going to be a franchise player on Vancouver? Pat? I mean, right now he is, yeah. And, you know, he can only go off, I guess. I mean, hockey's a tough game. So, I mean, you, you go in droughts too. But, I mean, every time I hear something about Vancouver, I hear Quinn Hughes, you know. His brother was the number one draft pick for New Jersey this year. Big hockey family. Um He's, he's up there running for the Calder Cup this year for sure. Um, you know, and, and, you know, Vancouver's got, you know, who they – a lot of number one picks. Rob yeah. Bob, Pedersen. Yeah. Pedersen. I mean, they got these – every year they keep getting guys and um, top, top-notch guys. But, yeah, I think he's – I think he's going to be a franchise player out there. Right now I think he's the franchise player. He's the talk of Vancouver. Robbie, you got any uh, input there, bud? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say he, he is going to be a franchise franchise player, if not already. Um, like Pat said, he's just he's all over the place. Uh, he was at the All-Star game. Um, he's a really good player. Um, I, I just think that, you know, what's different now is um, there's multiple franchise players instead of just one or two. Um, so he's definitely going to be one of those pieces. Uh, in Vancouver for a while. You train? Yes. <laughs> All right. So my my perspective on it a little bit is that you know his brother came in to be the highlight of the uh, the NHL this year, and he's kind of taken over that that stage for him. Um, he's obviously been one of the best players on Vancouver, if not one of the best defensemen in the league as a rookie. I think that's a great testament to what we're going to see from him in the future. He's going to be uh, an all-star defenseman. He's a small guy. But he, he plays great on the power play, sticks a lot of goals, a lot of points, and he's also playing well on, on the back end. So we're going to see good things out of him out in Vancouver, and I think they'll probably end up trying to keep him as a franchise player out there. They're going to have some money problems with Pedersen and, uh, you know, with Bosner. Obviously, these guys, uh, Bosner, coming off their, their entry levels, uh, I think, this year, Pedersen next year. So, you know, they'll have to free up some cap space probably to get him a big contract, keep him around, but I think they're going to do it. Listen, on a separate note, when do you think there's going to be one, like, brave GM that comes out and starts building a roster full of, like, big-ass, fast forwards that can just absolutely destroy these little miniature defensemen that they're putting in the league now? Because, I mean, I just feel like, you know, it's always takes some way to kind of, like, break the, break the mold of what the league is trying to do at that point, which makes them, yeah. you know, which will make that a team kind of come out of nowhere. Exactly. So... I kind of wonder, like, when I, I was thinking about this the other night, it's like, when is a t- when is it when is some GM going to come out and say, you know what, this whole league is just kind of you know patting each other on the ass and saying we're going to get all these small, quick defensemen going forward, and you know, it's uh, I I would love to see a GM break you know step off the curb and say, you know what, I'm going to build my team different, you know, I'm going to I'm going to take advantage of the fact that the league's full of small defensemen now and uh, and do and go a different a little bit different way, but we'll see what happens. If that happens, I mean. It'd be interesting to see how these smaller guys uh, fare when when the league makes a transition the other way. Yeah, I know you're right. I mean, with, like Rasmus Dahlin, I mean, some of these guys that you know are supposed to be stud defensemen, or there's little tiny guys, you know, and they're expecting them to score goals, right? So they're getting away from what defensemen used to do as far as laying the body and and really, you know, being able to take the take these 
bigger forwards on it. Cause there's, I mean, if you put a team together of, uh, you know, Tom Wilson's and, uh, you know, Greenways and even Matthew Kachuk's not a big guy, but he's exactly. throwing, throwing the body around pretty good too. You know, you know, some players like that, like Derek said, I think he, you know, he probably could make a good go at it if you're a team that can go out. I mean, each team has a few guys, like one guy in each line that can throw the body, right? You know, so then they have two smaller guys on forward, it seems like, and then that's their mix. But if you had a few, you know, two or three guys on each line or they're, they're wrecking people in the corners, you know, people are going to be looking over their shoulder when they go in there to get that puck. And I'd like to see some more hitting anyway. I'd like to see people get their ass beat in the corners. Well, boys, before we uh, round it out, we got to talk about the Super Bowl. Obviously, Derek's got his KC hat on. Derek, talk about the, you know, we'll put you in the Andy Moog uh, experience now. Talk about your experience with your Super Bowl win. <laughs> well, I, I got a question for Derek before he gets into it, you know, which has yeah. been the talk, talk of the sports world. Does, uh, do you think Mahomes deserved the MVP or did Damian Williams deserve it? You know, I mean, it, just because the way the league is quarterback centric, you know, yeah. you give it to Mahomes, but, but Damian Williams was, was their best player. By far in the yeah, playoffs. I mean, I, I thought so. He was the catalyst for changing uh, almost all those games that they were in, you know. So um, it was pretty awesome, man. I, I mean, I've been a fan. Like I said, I'm 40 years old. I've been a fan since I was, I think, five years old. Um, so I went 35 years never seeing this team even, you know, sniff getting to this point. So uh, for me, it was awesome. I, I loved seeing it. I didn't expect it. I thought in the third quarter, I kind of, uh, had a bunch of people at the house and in the third quarter everybody was kind of like well Derek you know we're gonna head home I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> sorry it didn't go well you know I'm really sorry and I was maybe like yeah year. I don't know man you know and they I was like you know what? maybe they're right I don't yeah you know maybe they're right but I was thinking in the back of my head like they've come back from you know in every fucking game they're in and so Morgan walked my wife walked out in the kitchen I ended up watching it by my I was like went to a different area of the house to watch it because I was frustrated and she came out and she was like, what do you think? And I was like, I don't know more. I think they're going to win the game. And she was like, God, I think you're crazy. But, and then next thing you know, here, and, you know, next thing you know, here they go. So it was awesome, man. I watched a little bit of that parade. Uh, you know, I saw some stuff on Twitter today of the parade, those fucking Mahomes and Kelsey and those guys are getting fucking twisted out there on the slamming beers, pouring. Kelsey was walking down the road uh, on the parade route, and Mahomes was like pouring beer out of the top of a double-decker bus into his mouth and shit like that. So they're having a lot of fun. It was it was a, it was a really interesting season to watch, and I uh, obviously from a Chiefs perspective, I couldn't be happier. So. It, it couldn't happen to a better coach, that's for sure. Andy Reid's top Andy, notch, uh, yeah. tough tough life with family members, his kids, but uh, great guy, and uh, he deserves that big time. He should. Oh yeah. Hold on to that as long as you can. For sure. Yeah, great win for Kansas City. Yeah, Mahomes actually looked like shit in the first half. I mean, he wasn't throwing the ball like he usually does. He wasn't, wasn't on target. You know, so he did, but he did come out in the end of the game and, you know, help them win the game. I mean, it was definitely in his hands. He's the one putting the ball in his hands every play to make it happen. So give the kid credit. He's a young kid, um, you know, in that, in that high pressure situation. So I think he did a good job. All right, four years old. Yeah, can you imagine? Damn. <clears throat> Another great podcast, fellas. Um, you know, check us out on our social media. YouTube is a video up up of our podcast, so you can watch it instead of listening to it if you prefer that. And uh, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff as well. All right, boys. Until next time, keep your stick on the ice. Hey! Uno!
Oh, doctor. Yeah. Keep your head up. We know.